if right now it was, you know, 15 years down the road that that plan and we can help move it to eight years down the road, right? By proving it and by, you know, kind of getting the consumers, you know, risen up behind it. That's an absolute win. An absolute win because people do often ask me, you know, oh, is the packaging proprietary? Do you have an IP on it? Like, you know, and it, the answer is no, and we would never want it to be. Never want it to be because this is something we want to see all brands move to as soon as possible, you know, for the better of the planet and, you know, the future of kids and stuff. So we're really hopeful that, you know, we're small, but we are, you know, we're nimble. We're moving really quickly. Like you said, you, you know, we can kind of change up pretty fast. So we're hoping that that may help bring, you know, the movement a little bit sooner into Canada and to North America. This is Evolve CPG, a community of purpose-driven brand leaders who not only believe in better, but actively pursue it. As better products, better brands, better leadership for a better world. Thanks to you, our listeners, this podcast is now ranked in the top 10% of all podcasts globally. Let's not stop there, though. If you like our show, please take a moment to leave us a rating or review and share your favorite episodes with your network. The more people we reach, the more good we can bring about in this world. If you work in the industry, you can also join our online community where we're going further, faster, together at community.evolvecpg.com. I'm your host, Gage Mitchell, founder and creative director of Modern Species, a sustainable brand design agency helping better brands grow and scale their impact. On this episode, we're speaking with Alicia Leahy, co-founder and CEO of Humble Snacks, about her experience in big food, why she and her husband made the shift to a more sustainable lifestyle, and why she didn't want to launch her own brand unless it could be with better packaging. My name is Alicia Leahy, and I am the co-founder and CEO of Humble Snacks. Our first brand is Humble Potato Chips. We are an organic, light and crispy potato chip, and we are packaged in certified plastic-free and compostable bags. So we are trying to disrupt this industry, the CPG industry, with some more sustainable options so people know that alternatives are available. Love it. Uh, and that's a big part of why I wanted to bring you on the show is is because you dove into more sustainable packaging from day one. But we'll dive into that in a little bit. First, I'd just love to hear how you got into the CPG industry in the first place, because I think poking around on your LinkedIn, it looked like you started your career in CPG, which a lot of our guests didn't. So I'd be curious how you knew you wanted to go into CPG from day one. Well, I guess I probably, I didn't really know, but you know, in university, when you're finishing up, they have those career fairs, right? And you go and you walk around and there's all kinds of companies there kind of recruiting and Frito-Lay, like PepsiCo was one of those people or one of those companies. So I stopped in and, you know, you give your resumes and they gave me a call. And I remember sitting there talking to my dad and I was like, I don't know. I don't know if I want to like drive a truck because like you have to drive a truck in the beginning and, and like put the chips out on shelf. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know if I'm comfortable driving this huge truck and stuff. And he was like, just, you know what, just go. Interviews are great practice and, you know, you need to get going with these. So I went. And I met with the HR manager, whoever was there, and she was so lovely. And I was like, okay, you know what? Why not? And kind of continued down that path in their new grad recruitment program. And and I ended up being selected that year to come on board. And I was excited to. I really, you know, it was, it felt right. Like selling, you know, food. I've always been in grocery. So like my first job at 15 was in a grocery store, a SOB store in uh, Atlanta, Canada, where I grew up. And my mom was, you know, had a food processing business as well. So it was kind of always around. And then I met some great people there and, and it turned out to be a really good fit. Wow. There's so many things I want to unpack there. First of all, Pepsi forces every employee into like driving a truck and putting <laughs> bags on shelf first, or was that just certain roles? No. So, so it was called the new grad program. So essentially, it was a program you got selected. It was sort of an accelerated program where you went, you know, a year of kind of learning all the roles, and then you become a district manager right away. So I would never get back, give back those like six months that I was on a truck, because I learned exactly what all of these people that 
you know, I was going to be managing at 21 years old or however old I was exactly what they were doing. You know, I know what it feels like to be on the back of a chip truck in minus 30 degree weather with your hands <laughs> freezing and like packing your chips and trying to take them into a convenience store. So part of this program was to actually like kind of, you know, get in there and and I am like barely over five feet tall. So I had to sit on phone books back in the day when there was actually phone <laughs> books. I actually sat on one um, to wow. be able to kind of see over enough to be able to drive the, the truck back and forth. But yeah, so that's where it kind of started, which was an incredible way to get yourself into the business. Um, and then after that, I became a district manager and, you know, managed, I think it was 10 gentlemen who actually serviced the stores. Nice. I mean, that's cool from an empathy standpoint, like you were saying, like know who you're managing, but also just knowing the industry a little bit more and knowing what shelves look like and knowing who you're up against and what, how messy the shelves, you know, whatever, there's all these kind of things that you're learning along the way. So that seems like a, a smart system. Yeah. Like the, you know, it, it really, and Jeff actually also started at Frito-Lay. So my husband and co-founder, so he was also Is that how you met? Yeah. Yes, we did. Years later, I was in Nova Scotia and he was in uh, Ontario. But that time in our lives have like literally shaped what we are doing right now at Humble. Like you will find us in stores merchandising product, uh, him at least two times a week and Dan as well. Like we are, it's so important being in stores. Those are the people that actually make things happen, right? So it's the key part of, in my opinion, Frito-Lay's massive success is the people that are, you know, the people that actually are in stores. That's cool. So maybe you'll yeah. adopt that practice and have all your new hires <laughs> start yes. by going yeah. and working the shelves. <laughs> yeah. And then another thing you mentioned is your mom had a food processing company. So what was that? Yeah, she it was a vegetable processing company that she worked for and then eventually ran and then eventually owned um, at one point. But before uh, delis, when we're in grocery stores, um, when they first started, everybody had, you know, the slice, they started having sliced potatoes and they did like taters in stores or sliced apples in the produce department. She was in the, like a fruit and vegetable processing company that did that stuff for grocery stores before they started doing it on their own. Wow. So you're just like legacy food industry. <laughs> Does it yeah, go back further yeah. than that? Like grandparents or anything? Or did it start with your mom? No, my grandfather was a pipe fitter, plumber. Ah. So no, no further than that. But yeah. <laughs> That's cool though, to to be able to kind of follow in the footsteps and, and build upon kind of some of the yeah. experience you got as a kid, I guess if you call it 15 year old, a teenager, a kid, but uh, that experience you got there and then kind of your mom's experience and whatever, and then going on and carrying that yeah. through with a- yeah. Um, yeah. In the CPG industry. That's cool. Yeah. Awesome. So, always been around. My sister's a trained chef. So it's, you know, we're into it. Yeah. <laughs> so you worked through PepsiCo with Frito Lay. So obviously, chip brands and other things like that. And, and one of the things I was reading about, about your company, Humble, is that there was a gap in the market, it seemed, of organic, light and crispy skins on potato chips. So can you or talk a little bit about how you identified that gap and why yeah. you felt like it was your responsibility to fill it? <laughs> to do it. Yeah, for sure. So like I said, Jeff and I met at Frito-Lay and we started to get a little bit disconnected from what we were selling. You know, we got really interested in organic food and the organic food movement and started making our own kind of choices, like our own lifestyle choices. And at that point, we were both said, like, I don't know if this is the right place for me anymore. And I started looking first and found this incredible company, Nature's Path. And I ended up moving over to Nature's Path, which is a family-owned company. Again, foundationally, a lot of how humble it looks and feels is because of Nature's Path and Amy's Kitchen, who I've worked for. But And then Jeff left and he kind of ended up at Amplifier Skinny Pop Popcorn and sort of launched, was very early on in the business in Canada. And so we were working in the natural food industry and Jeff was still in snacks and, you know, Nature's Path had K-Pasa, so I was still in snacks too. And we sort of looked around the shelves and it was like, why is there no, all of the potato chips that were on shelf were kettle cooked, all the natural ones, right, were kettle cooked. And there was none really that, you know, were, there was one brand that was organic at that time, but it was all kettle. And you said, this is so weird because the light and crispy or the traditionally cooked, which is, you know, Lay's as a benchmark Lay's, that's like 42% of all salty snack sales of all, of all chip sales is this light and crispy Lay's potato chip. 
And it was not represented on the shelf of a natural snacks, you know, department in natural retail and conventional retail. So, you know, if 42 out of every 100 purchases are a light and crispy chip and there's no better for you alternative and there were better for you alternatives in, you know, basically every other category, skinny pop for, you know, popcorn, capasa, kettle, all these things. It was this glaring opportunity that we saw and said, oh, maybe someday, you know, maybe we can do that. That would be super fun. That would be really cool to do that. And, you know, tough because obviously uh, Lay's and PepsiCo are extremely strong and we've been there. So, you know, and sell those brands. But it kind of, you know, it was just like, oh, maybe someday, like we'd love to work for ourselves. We'd love to do that. And we continue to talk and move through our own careers and learn more. And I went to a couple of different companies and, and it sort of always was in the background of like, why? No, still nobody's done this. Like, why has nobody done this? And we continue to talk you were just about it. Almost waiting um, for it to happen, right? <laughs> right. We were. And, yeah. and then it became like, okay, if at what point do we, is there a clear opportunity for us to say, let's do it. And we always, we were, you know, new jobs, getting promoted, like things were going very well. And it didn't really seem like there was this perfect opportunity and, until January, I think it was January of 2020, 2021, sorry, January, 2021 came along and sort of presented itself this opportunity for us to sort of focus on bringing that to life. So what was it about January 2021 that presented the opportunity? Was there like some layoffs or something else going on? Yeah, it was. So the Amplify was purchased by Hershey, by the Hershey's company. So, you know, another big, excellent CPG brand. And Jeff had stayed for about two years. And then it was, you know, getting absorbed kind of into the the main wheel and said, you know, I don't really know if I want to go back into that again. I really love natural and organic and smaller stuff. So, you know, they shook hands and... It was January 2021 when Jeff sort of packed up his laptop and looked at me and said, you know, we have a little bit of time here. Like, maybe I should focus and see if we could bring this to life. And I said, why not? You know, it's probably our only opportunity. Like, we have the, you know, the gift of time at the moment. And, you know, let's start calling some of those people that we had started calling like along throughout the years, right? We started calling organic potato suppliers and we started talking to, you know, different packaging options and such. So that's, yeah, that was, we had the gift of time for a little bit where Jeff started to be able to actually focus on seeing if we could bring it to life. That's cool. So you mentioned that Frito-Lay had like 42% of their sales, I think it was, are all in these kind of light and crispy chips, but natural was all kettle cooked. Did you, as you were kind of doing your research or thinking about this, category. Did you come up with like a reason why most natural chips were uh, kettle cooked? Was it like easier somehow to do organic potatoes that way? Or maybe that's what the natural consumer wanted or something like that? Yeah, yeah, we did. It's So working at Frito-Lay, you have this really great opportunity to represent a lot of different types of salty snacks. So, you know, Ruffles being called a ridge chip or Miss Vicky's is that and Lay's and popcorn and all of these things. So what happens with salty snacks is they kind of ebb and flow. So at the time of natural foods kind of becoming a real thing, the category, the subcategory that was on the upward trend was popcorn and kettle cooked chips. So Miss Vicky and Smart Food were having a great kind of having a, a one of their highs or moving into one of their highs. So it was basically about timing, right? Where you, you know, people probably saw that there was growth in those categories and kettle cooking is typically less expensive from what we understand too, the equipment. So to actually make a kettle cooked chip, it is less expensive than a traditionally cooked chip, which has a, a long fryer and things like that. So with those two things combined, that's kind of how it started was, you know, getting on top of the trend, which is very smart and trying to like ride that wave. And then popcorn starts to come down and then something else starts to come up and right now extruded. So, you know, crunchies and puffs and things right now are what's on their high or their lift and it's starting to come down. The The only category or subcategory within salty snacks that have grown year over year for like the last 20 years, light and crispy, traditionally cooked potato chips. So lace. So it's a very That's steady really eddy. It's the core of the category. Yeah. I wouldn't have thought that kettle cooked would be cheaper to produce, but I guess that makes sense if it was the kind of up and coming brands that were trying to get in there. They don't have the equipment or the dollars or whatever to do the more expensive, sophisticated process. But I guess yeah. I figured since it has always been portrayed as a somewhat more premium 
option that it was probably a more expensive labor intensive option or something like that. Like a lot of natural foods are right. They're usually the the harder, more expensive thing to do. They, I think there was a really great job marketing wise as marketing at like, as like the craft chip, right? Right, Like that higher end version of a regular potato chip. But I think it's about around 20 or 24% of sales is in the category is a cattle cook chip at this point. All right. So it seemed like a great opportunity. And then all of a sudden, Jeff had the time to explore it. And what I find super interesting, because I, being in sustainability and food and package design and so on and so forth, a lot of our clients are always trying to move towards more recyclable or compostable or whatever kind of materials, but it's not always cost effective or maybe it hurts your shelf life or there's other kind of problems in shipping or there was that whole sun chips, I think it was, case study. I was there. Jeff and I worked there when it (laughs) happened. So that whole thing of where the bag was too crinkly and people complained because they couldn't quietly eat their chips in their office or something like that. But there's all these challenges of more sustainable packaging. Yet, as a tiny startup brand, (laughs) you planted your flag and said, you know what, we're going to do it. So tell me more about how you made that commitment and what kind of some of those challenges have been like. Sure. Yeah. So it it goes back almost six years now. So like Jeff and I have been talking about this for, you know, this potato chip brand for, for quite a few years. And then we had our son Wilder almost six years ago. And when you have a child, you start to really look at the world very differently. Like, you know, we're humans, we're quite self-centered. Like we we're always kind of looking in and, and then you have this little human that you have to take care of who's going to be on the planet, you know, years after you're not. <laughs> yeah. and, um, and then they'll have a family or they'll have friends and, and they'll be on the planet for a lot longer. So for me, I really, it took me back. I was working for Amy's Kitchen, which is one of the most beautiful family owned. I know the Berliners so well and they sell beautiful organic food and same with Nature's Path, beautiful organic food. Everything that I have ever, every brand I've ever worked for, every piece of plastic that was in that packaging is still on this planet. And it is, that is, was the hard part about it for me was, you know, this is, I'm so grateful to be selling organic food to people, to helping people eat better, right? To avoid GMOs, to avoid pesticides. But at the same time, it's kind of the Achilles heel of the entire industry is that we're all in packaged in plastic that never really goes away. It decomposes into microplastics. It, a lot of it can't be, especially, you know, flexible packaging that salty snacks are in. It's not ever recyclable. It, it all goes to landfill. And so it was after, shortly after he was born that, you know, we we're still talking about this business and starting to do some research that, you know, I looked at Jeff and I said, if we were ever to do this, I just can't do it. I can't do it unless it is in some kind of sustainable packaging where we can feel great about what we're doing and try and make some kind of change. And, you know, we referred back to the Sun Chips. We call it the Sun Chips debacle (laughs) because we were at Frito when that happened and we were so proud of it. We thought it was like the most incredible decision that they made. They were really far ahead of their time, right, by doing this. And, you know, people weren't quite there yet. I mean, the sound of the bag, yes, it was loud, but it shouldn't have ended that brand, that, you know, that brand or that, you know, packaging option for it. But it did. It, it killed it because it was so. And just a funny side note on that. I actually bought a decibel, like something to to capture how loud things are when we started with this packaging so that I could make sure that it wasn't as loud <laughs> as what Sun Chips was. <laughs> and it's, uh, yeah, so slightly different packaging. But so that's kind of why and why we're doing it is for Wilder is for, you know, all of the kids, the future generations, because, you know, it has been like you alluded to, it has not been easy. And it is not perfect. And it won't be perfect tomorrow. But if we didn't take the step to just do it and try to commercialize it and, you know, bring it to the market, then consumers wouldn't even know it was possible. A lot of people don't even know that chip bags aren't recyclable. Right. So it's a there's an education piece that goes along with it. So we just said we have to, you know, we have to try. Is that part of where the name for the company Humble came from? Is you know that like whatever you're gonna do isn't perfect yet, but you've got to start somewhere. So there, yes, there's a bit of humility it. you have to take with that, right? 
That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly it. And, and, oh, and the, you know, the humble potato, there's nothing much more humble than the potato. It can literally feed the world (laughs) too. Right. So yeah, we're humble, but learning to be a little bit more loud, right. Learning to have a little bit more of a voice because people need to know and and understand and, and, you know, learn a little bit about what we're doing. So. Some more decibels for the brand voice, but not for the packaging. (laughs) (laughs) For the packaging, exactly. I'd be curious. So you measured the decibels of your packaging just to make sure you didn't get caught in the same trap. Do you know like what percentage of decibels your package has versus what that sun chip debacle was? Such a good question. It was not much louder than a regular chip bag. So I did like, I bought the you know, the chips off the market and was crunching them too. But I can't remember exactly what the percentage was. No, but the reports of the Sun Chips bags were like through the roof. If they were, I don't know if they were true or not, but I just wanted to something to kind of benchmark off of. Yeah. Okay. And then I know a big part of it for you, as you've discussed, is kind of like this idea of plastic that's sitting around forever. So you wanted to make a plastic free bag, but I'd love to hear more about that because, you know, I think a lot of compostable materials are still plastic. They're just plastic made from plants, right? Did you find a different way to do it or are you just kind of trying to say plastic free as in no petroleum plastic? No single use plastic. So we partnered with a plastic planet, which is an incredible UK company. It's a, you know, a policy change maker um, and they did the plastic free certification. So there are so many brands in the UK and in Europe that are on this path. And kind of the standard is that to be plastic free, it's bio-based materials and that it must go away. It must be compostable at the end of the day, right? So it has to turn into the soil or the compost with no toxins left over, essentially turns into biomass and the other thing. There are so many tricky words and misconceptions about biomaterials or bioplastics or at the end of the day, you know, we're in like phase one of plant-based or bio-based materials and it's going to continue to evolve. It's going to get stronger. But right now, this is the next best step outside of, you know, plastic, traditional single-use plastic, we'll call them. They're all polymers, if that, (laughs) you know, science, you know, kind of scientifically, they all are, have a very similar makeup, but ones will stay on the planet for their entire life and turn into microplastics. And the other ones will, you know, decompose and become oxygen, water, and biomass and return to the soil. And so a very circular, you know, in very circular, and I know they talk about circularity with recycling plastics and such too, which is, you know, great. Um, but we don't want to continue to produce as much single use plastics as we're, as we're using. And it's not about demonizing plastic either. You know, plastic is very important in certain applications, you know, medical equipment, all of that stuff. Like we need it. It's just how do we take the next step to try and reduce what we're using and, you know, get it out of landfills and, you know, try and create a more sustainable path forward um, than, you know, 40% of all plastic produced in the last, what, since 18, 2018 was used for packaging. So if we can do something about it on this end of things, then we can really reduce that number. Yeah. And like you said, it's um, plastic is useful, but it's also a limited resource, right? So if we can find ways to focus the plastic where it needs to be used instead of where it doesn't need to be used, then that's just a smarter use of our resources. So that makes sense. And I like the, so the plastic free certification is the idea that this bag that you use or or whatever else is plastic free certified is just not going to be around generation after generation after generation. I've seen some of our clients who have been looking for more compostable solutions and either they've been too expensive or didn't have the shelf life or, you know, whatever. Yes. But they end up going with this like repurposed global, I think it's called uh, plastic neutral certification, (laughs) which is different. It's more of like they contribute to a company that's cleaning up ocean plastic or other things like that. So it's the idea that, yes, we're using plastic, but we're also trying to solve the problem at the same time. So in opposition to that, yours is more, this isn't the same old plastic that's going to live forever. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, you know, everybody's just trying to make the next right step, right? Take the next right step. And I think that repurpose, I've spoken to them too. I think that it's a wonderful thing that they're cleaning up plastic and that, you know, there's kind of, there's lots of carbon offsets and things like that, um, that are happening. Everyone's just trying to figure out like, how can we impact this 
in our own way. Because like you said, the plastic, the plastic free packaging that we're using, it hasn't been overly commercialized anywhere in the world. So there's, you know, struggles with that. And the price of it is, you know, five times more expensive than traditional plastic. So when you, you know, for us, we, we had to make that decision to really put purpose over profit. You know, our margins are nowhere near what other snack brands are. But for us, it was the right thing to do. And that was for us. And, you know, I think it's great that other brands are investing in, you know, repurpose and all of those things too. I think the more of us that are actually trying to do something, the better off we'll be. And then eventually the, you know, the real thing, the real solution will emerge too as technology, as more people get on board with this type of stuff and hopefully costs will come down. And then you'll see those brands that are, you know, in plastic packaging, but are very conscious of it and making choices. They'll eventually be able to move into something like this too. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like the solution's not perfect because the system is so broken, but if we get more and more people interested in finding a solution, eventually there'll be enough momentum to actually solve it. But right now there's just not enough momentum to solve it because there's not enough people like you saying, I'm going to do it no matter what, and we're going to commit. And then other people commit over time. And eventually yeah, we have so many brands mass. and we've been very open with people about, I like, will help other brands get into this type of packaging as soon, you know, as they want to. And lots of people have reached out, um, even, you know, other brands that aren't in flexible films, like hard plastics, which we have contacts in because we've talk to pretty much everybody. <laughs> and there's, so there's a huge willingness and want to be able to do it, which is really encouraging. Right now, I wouldn't say to anybody else, you should switch the packaging we're using right now. It's not there yet. The next version of the packaging, which we have coming, you know, that we've been working on for months too, because the technology is moving so quickly that that may be the one that is the real game changer, I hope. But we're even working on the next version past that. So <laughs> the because there are some really big sweeping rules being implemented in Europe and UK and Asia on single-use plastics that this is, you know, this is really rapidly evolving technology. And everybody's goal is to get to kind of home compostable so that, you know, wherever basically it lands, it will, you know, take not take too much time to decompose into the soil so yeah it's something that we're we are constantly working on okay so that home compostable note made me think so like the current version that you're using right now has limitations maybe the cost i think you said it was five times more expensive but what are some of the other limitations beyond the fact that i think what you have right now is just commercially compostable which you know not every major not every city or whatever has commercial composting available eventually maybe that'll be a thing but to your point home compostable would mean people could put it in their backyard bin or whatever or even you know not ideal but even if it ended up getting thrown into the environment it'll go away quicker than a commercial compostable which needs certain more intense yeah. conditions so what else are you trying to solve with the second generation and third generation versions of your package yeah. So yeah, this type of packaging, because it's mainly plants, is very finicky with weather. Okay. So, you know, when we first launched it, we had done so much research, we had tested so many things and we're like, okay, this is what we're going to go with. This is, and we I went and put it out on the first shelves, the first store, personally, myself, put it there. So happy. Went back a week later and there was a wrinkle through the entire bag. And I was like, what? Is, and it wasn't from being crushed. It was like, it looked like the layers had separated. And I was like, what is going on? And so everybody, you know, packaging text, everyone's, you know, freaking out, trying to figure out what happens. And then I get a message that says, you need to get into a store with a humidity monitor and find out what their relative humidity is in these grocery stores. I'm like, okay. I mean, a home is 40%. So, you know, I went in and, and we went to a bunch of different stores. It's like uh, on average 11%. So, Imagine when a carrot, like a carrot goes dry in your, you know, in your cupboard or something, it shrivels, right? This is what happened to the packaging. One of the layers shriveled underneath and separated. So it created like a separation in the packaging. So it's because it's not traditional plastic, it just is going to react in different environments very differently. And so we immediately had to solve for that. And, you know, it can shorten your shelf life. It doesn't actually do anything wrong to the chips themselves, but it can shorten your shelf life. So, you know, trying to very quickly figure out, you know, how we 
fix that. And then what's the next generation of packaging look past that, that avoids, you know, that layer doing that essentially with the low humidity in, in grocery stores. So it's very finicky when it comes to the weather and the environment, right? And shipping it on trucks in high heat or in very low heat, all of that stuff, you have to be very careful. Shipping it through the mountains. So, you know, getting it through the Rocky Mountains here in Canada, you know, all chip bags swell up as you go up in elevation and they can pop or like leak seal, um, like have some seal leaks. And because the packaging isn't like the seal wasn't quite as strong as plastic to begin with, you know, it had more of a tendency to pop. Like we couldn't get it through the U.S. Rocky Mountains. We got it through the Canadian, but we could not get this packaging through the U.S. Rocky Mountains. And we're, you know, trying to launch in Western U.S. and in, in 2023. So we're doing like all kinds of, you know, work on that. So that's, you know, just something that you have to kind of think about. And of course, shelf life and all of those things too. So. Yeah, it's so funny when you talk to consumers who are interested in more sustainable packaging. And I've been in some conversations where they're like, why doesn't every brand, like I see this brand yeah. over here is in compostable or whatever. Why doesn't every brand just get on board? Like, what's the problem? And when you start breaking it down with even just like what you're talking about, well, the bag's going to pop, you know, because it seals differently or like moisture or shelf life or the cost or whatever. You can just rattle off 50 different reasons why most companies aren't doing it, right? So, it's, totally. it is an interesting space to be in like trying to solve some of those challenges because you as yeah. as the tiny brand is having yes. to solve these big supply chain related or transportation related issues that you would think would be so much easier for a big brand to solve but totally they've also got like much more money invested slash bigger footprint slash whatever so like one small change with them ripples out to you know millions of dollars and thousands yeah. if not hundreds of thousands of doors and whatever it's just a complicated rollout but somewhere in between like maybe it's the collaboration between small brands who can iterate quicker because they don't have as big of a footprint and the resources of big brands who can actually afford to do some of this testing like that's probably where the best solutions need to come from totally you know i say it all the time like if if we can prove this out that this is you know that it can be successful and that consumers want it. And, you know, that moves some of these larger, very large snack brands from, you know, everybody, they're all talking about it, right? About doing it in the future, which is wonderful. At least it's on radars and at least they're speaking about it. And, you know, if right now it was, you know, 15 years down the road that that plan and we can help move it to eight years down the road, right? By proving it and by, you know, kind of getting the consumers, you know, risen up behind it, that's an absolute win. An absolute win because people do often ask me, you know, oh, is the packaging proprietary? Do you have an IP on it? Like, you know, and it, the answer is no, and we would never want it to be. Never want it to be because this is something we want to see all brands move to as soon as possible, you know, for the better of the planet and, you know, the future of kids and stuff. So we're really hopeful that, you know, we're small, but we are, you know, we're nimble. We're moving really quickly. Like you said, you, you know, we can kind of change up pretty fast. So we're hoping that that may help bring, you know, the movement a little bit sooner into Canada and to North America. Nice. In the US, there's a group called OSC or was one yeah, step I know closer, them. right? So there was a packaging collaborative that one of our clients, Alter Eco, was helping lead to try to find more compostable packaging solutions. And they ended up launching a kind of non-GMO plant-based compostable stand-up pouch for their quinoa back in the day. And a few other brands have kind of jumped on. I think it was like Numi Tea did a, a tea bag that was, or a tea sachet, like that the bag goes in as for compostable. And I know like other brands like 18 Rabbits and others were testing out different things, but for each product, there's different moisture barrier kind of issues yes. or whatever else. So it's like, again, another misconception might be, well, compostable plastic exists. Why doesn't everyone use it? And it's like, well, every, literally every product is a different challenge because you've got different shelf life issues, different level of moisture, light exposure, shipping, packing, weights, all sorts of things that come into play. So to your point, like you're one company with one type of product out there testing it and proving it out. But if you can open it up and help other brands come in, that's more testing, that's more data, that's more proof points that it can work for other types of products too. So taking yeah, that collaborative path is not only good for the greater good, but it can also give you more data and more testing in case you wanted to 
move into other categories at some point. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you nailed it. So you're named after the humble potato and just kind of being humble in general right now. But do you, are potatoes like where you plan to focus the whole time, like in the chip category, or do you see humble kind of expanding into other products? Yeah. So it, we're humble snacks for a reason. So we've wanted to, you know, and the first brand is humble potato chips. So yeah, we do see ourselves expanding into, you know, other um, subcategories within salty snacks, but you know, it, we could be in other, um, other categories altogether too. Right now we're going to focus on salty snacks and focus on our core business and then kind of expand out in pack size and, you know, perhaps product type later on in 2023 or early 2024. But, you know, we have, yeah, big aspirations anyway. <laughs> yeah, nice. Okay, just curious. So, I know you've mentioned a couple times that you run the business with your husband Jeff, and it sounds like you've both been obviously in the CPG space for a while, so you're both bringing a lot of knowledge to this, but you've also worked separately at all those other companies like in different companies, different teams, probably different roles, etc. So, as you've started kind of working together, how are you structuring that because it can be both a benefit to work with your spouse, but also, you know, difficult to work with the spouse, depending on like how, if you have overlapping roles, division of duties, not having work-life separation, like bringing it all home with you because you can just talk about work at dinner, et cetera. So have you two set up any rules or, or found any new rules that you have to put into place uh, as you've started oh, working like, together? Yeah. Yeah. So we're a bit lucky. Like we have actually worked together on a bunch of different projects in the past. I was actually at the brokerage that managed Skinny Pop Popcorn Amplify as well. So Jeff and I both helped launch Skinny Pop into Canada. So we had a, you know, a bit of a taste of kind of working together collaboratively because I've specifically managed the, the brand there as well. We did have that. And to layer in a, a fun, you know, something fun on top of it too, is that the third person at Humble, and he's been with us basically since we've launched, is my brother, who is a, you know, a longtime CPG kind of vet himself working at a, at a few different places. So it's the three of us. So that always brings, you know, a fun dynamic. But what we're trying to really do is, you know, keep up the communication. So the rule is it's it's obviously emotional to have your own business and to have it with your spouse and your siblings. So, you know, even if we are starting to, you know, get a little bit wound up about things, it's always about taking a minute, trying to, you know, come down, maybe separate out for a little bit, come back together and, you know, regroup and have that conversation because, you know, it's easier. You're more comfortable with your spouse, you know, to be a little bit more edgy, right? <laughs> than you might be with somebody that you work with, that just another coworker. So that's kind of where we're trying to find or when we've been finding that balance is, you know, communication is really key. Know, talking to a therapist, you know, both individually and together too, just that, you know, we can make sure that we're dealing with things in a, a healthy way. It's really great advice from the, you know, the midday squares crew. Right? <laughs> That's it's what I was going to bring up. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Yeah, totally. right. Some they did right out of the gates too, and and they're a husband wife brother um, I know. trio it's as well. So very similar. You know, That's cool. Yeah, pretty awesome. What they've you know they've done, and I think that that's been really important too. Is like you know this is not going to be easy. I mean, it's way way harder than I thought it was going to be being an entrepreneur. But you know, making sure that we chat it out and that we can come back and you know apologize or you know really start to see the other person's point of view too and consider things. You know, the additional thing on top of it is we have a you know five and a half year old, and so you know who is very interested in the business and, you know, excited. Our offices are here at our house. So he's, you know, kind of always around it and trying to balance, you know, when he gets home from school of trying to shut down the computers while he's home and make sure that he, you know, gets that, you know, that time with us too, because it's really easy just to be, you know, on 24 seven when you're doing this, but it's not healthy to be on 24 seven. So you know, keeping each other accountable to that and to being able to have the time with him and, you know, on weekends and things like that, trying to make sure that we, you know, just respect him as a tiny human that's kind of growing and learning through this. You know, we don't want him to look back and say, oh, geez, my parents were just always ignoring me and always, you know, working 
uh, we try and include him in a lot on the back of the bag. It, we're signed and it's his name is signed on the back as well with the the three of us. And he's so proud of that. He'll go into a grocery store and, you know, show it off to somebody. And so just trying to figure out how to, you know, that we can include him in a healthy way too, and make sure that he feels like there's balance with, you know, both of his parents doing, a, you know, their own company together. Nice. Right, so maybe... If all goes well, much like nature's path, it'll be a multi-generation food company. (laughs) Wilder might come in and take over at some point. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. He's already, he's, you know, one of our best salespeople. I'll say that he's, you know, he's out there in stores asking people why humble isn't, why is humble not in this store? So he's already, uh, (laughs) he's already part. (laughs) That's awesome. He's your best sales asset. Just send him in. With a Just cute little cute uniform little, yeah. and some samples to be like, excuse me, can I talk to your buyer? <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's too cute. That's awesome. Okay. So you talked about like you started exploring this idea in early 2021. I'm not sure when you actually launched, but I think about a year ago, if I was yeah, looking at data was, correctly. Um, well, our first, we put that first bag on shelf at the end of January. So about February of 2022. Oh, okay one year okay. from, you know, kind of that idea. And it was wild because, you know, I was working full-time as a vice president of another company and, you know, trying to help Jeff in the evenings and weekends. But, you know, we just started calling people for some potatoes, for the packaging, for the seasoning, and, you know, trying to pull that all together to see, you know, what the cost would be, what that looks like. And then, you know, I remember Jeff looking at me and be like, okay, well, I think we have like this really viable product and we can get it on shelf for, you know, X price and that can be, you know, we can make this work. And then because we've been in the industry, we've, you know, we've called on all of the grocery buyers for so many years now in natural that, you know, we kind of shot out a few emails, a, a couple of feelers to Whole Foods and to Loblaws and, you know, we got answers back right away. So we were able to have meetings and pitch the idea and, you know, what we were going to do and, and everybody sort of jumped on board. So, we knew that there was going to be some decent scale. So then we had to find a co-manufacturer because we didn't have anybody to make it. We, <laughs> yeah. we, we really had this idea and then everybody started saying, yes, like we want to see this. We want to see it on shelf. And we were testing packaging and testing flavors in the background, but we didn't have anybody to make it. So we ended up finding a, a, a great co-man um, to be able to make it for us. And we were able to commercialize it and, and get it on store shelves. Yeah, at the end of January, 2022. Nice. Sounds like... You paint the picture as though it kind of all clicked together, but I'm sure there were some big challenges along the way. So (laughs) what were some of the biggest challenges that stick out in your mind? Yeah, I mean, obviously that packaging issue in the beginning is we had tested. We had another packaging fail before that where we thought we were really close. It was going to be paper-based. We wanted it to be, you know, matte looking. And and so one of the layers to be paper-based and we thought that was, you know, good to go. We did a test trial, like a run with it, um, made a bunch of product and it didn't work. The ink kind of soaked through and it was a bit of mess. So that was, you know, that was always tough. And then co-manufacturers want you know, very large minimums. So that's always a challenge too. And the co-man that we're using is is great, but they're large. And so we were like, how are we going to, you know, how are we going to make this work in order to kind of hit their, their minimums and be able to have fresh product? And we were lucky because so many retailers had, you know, agreed to come on board that we kind of stitched together, we could hit their minimum run. So that was, you know, that was definitely a, a challenge. For those minimums, was it more of a challenge that you were like, I don't know if we're going to be able to move that much product to meet those minimums, or was it more, how are we going to afford to produce that much with the current funding? Because I know for a lot of early stage or even (laughs) fast growth CPG companies that aren't early stage, cash flow is one of the biggest problem or challenges because you're booking you know, retail accounts that are going to, you know, let's say it's a national account and all of a sudden you've got to be able to manufacture all that, source all your ingredients, produce it, ship it, et cetera. And then you might not get paid for nine months in some cases. So what was the challenge for you with minimums and how did you solve the kind of funding challenge? Yeah. So both, it was both. So were we going to be able to sell what we had to produce? So, you know, we have very intimate knowledge of velocities within the category, right? We've been in the category for so long. So we knew we kind of had to put a plan together based on what we thought each of these retailers that had committed were going to turn. And we said, okay, like we feel like we can move this product in an appropriate amount of time should the product move off shelf. So 
you know, we felt comfortable with that and fingers crossed that it moved. And then on the flip side of it, yeah, we had no money, right? We had uh, up until this point, it was our own money that, you know, we were paying to kind of test the packaging and things like that. And once we started getting those real, so that was like in the early summer of 2021, we started getting those real like commitments from retailers and we knew that we were going to be turning around. We said we did, we had to start to fundraise because we exactly like you said, you know, it's super expensive. You have to buy everything up front in order to even make it. And you have to pay, you know, as a young business, you, nobody gives you great terms, <laughs> payment terms either. It's, it's often prepay or pay on, you know, delivery or something like that. So we did, we started to fundraise and that's probably been one of the most um, surprising or like learning curves for me was the, the fundraising side of things. I've never done it before, but there are some really incredible like, angel investors out there who want more sustainable options, you know, and believe in it. And there's a lot of sustainable, like a lot of tech stuff happening, which is really cool. But we were able to, you know, get connected with people through word of mouth and and had some really great folks come on board in the beginning to help us get things off the ground. And then, yeah, it's been eye opening. Yeah, I think anyone looking to start right now is going to have a little bit tougher go at it because the uh, fundraising world is pretty tight at the moment. So not that you won't get funded, but you're just going to have to have a much more compelling pitch than totally. and let's say, you know, five years ago or something. Definitely. And it's, and I mean, even for us, and I know it's, you know, it's likely because of our, you know, purpose over profit thing. That's not every investor's cup of tea, right. And to invest in something that has lower gross margin than, than other businesses. So, you know, it took us a long time to like fundraise what we had, you know, what we'd hoped for. So months and months and months, and then you hear other, you know, other brands are like, Oh, it took me three weeks. And I closed my, <laughs> my save or whatever it was. And we're like, yeah. yeah, okay. Like on this, you know, eight month grind of, of fundraising, but right now it's pretty tough. Everybody says there's, you know, there's money out there, but people are being more selective with what they're doing with it. So, yeah, I'm sure like the track record of the three of you having deep experience in the industry probably helped, right? But if you didn't have that and you had this higher margin product and so on and so forth, it would be very difficult right now to find find enough cash. Um, so yeah, you're that's so just right. a word our, of caution to experience. folks out there. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, our experience really helped us in, you know, because we're not uh, new to the business founders, right? Yeah, exactly. So maybe we wrap up with a chat about the future. So what do you feel like is the future of better snacking? Oh, great question. I think the future of better snacking is going to, you know, continue with more sustainable options. And that's not just in packaging. Obviously, we want to see, you know, packaging go, but I do really think that it's going to go along with the other health trends. You know, we're going to see more healthy ingredients. I think we're going to see more organic or free from, you know, uh, products that are free from things, free from pesticides, free from you know, all these things free, continue on with plant-based. That trend is certainly not going anywhere right now. You know, three of our five SKUs are, are plant-based and um, we'd love to move over the rest of it. It's a costing thing, but that's going to continue too. I think snacking is a big part of our, our culture here in North America. Like people love to snack. There's, you know, certain folks that only snack all day long, right? So I don't think the the category is really going to go anywhere, but I think people are going to start to be a little bit more mindful, especially after what we're coming out of, you know, with the pandemic and such that people are just a little bit more mindful of, of their health. So, you know, people are still going to want to eat a chip, but maybe they just want to eat a chip that has better ingredients, you know, with less fake additives, less, you know, kind of artificial ingredients, that type of thing. So I feel, still think we're going down that uh, route and and that there's going to be tons of space for, you know, interesting innovation. You know, a great brand is 12 Tides. They have a kelp-based, you know, snack. It's not really puff, it's like a crisp. I think there's going to be a lot of room for those things. I think people might explore a little bit more within snacks and kind of be open to, you know, outside things rather than just your traditional, you know, potato chips, popcorn, that type of stuff. Yeah. And based on some of those things you were talking about, it made me think of Iwan Organics uh, yes. uh, with Mark Samuel. He's Even though he doesn't snack himself, he knew that there was a big need for healthier snacks. And so that's that's his focus is the healthy kind of like higher protein, et cetera, type of snacks. But that just made me think with what you were talking about, plant-based, organic, healthy, and snacking like protein chips or, you know, right? high fiber chips or, you know, 
prebiotic chip, you know, something like that could be an interesting (laughs) space to play in. Totally. Yeah, there's a really cool popcorn brand here in Canada. It's called Nooch Pop and it has nutritional yeast on it, right? And so like those type of really value added ingredients that make sense, you know, consumers, they're not going to go too, too far outside of of what they're, you know, what they're used to, but they'll be willing to try things and, you know, people flip over the back of the pack. So if you can kind of amplify what those nutritionals look like and always the product has to taste good. That's key, right? Tastes good and not be... And not be like too weird, right? I think. Right. Too far outside of the box. Products that come out and they're like challenging you to push way outside your comfort zone, whether that's cricket protein stuff or whether that's things like kale chips, et cetera. You're going to find a small niche group that will be all for it. But like jumping the chasm into the mass market, it's going to be difficult. But if you're focused on a potato chip or a popcorn or something that people are comfortable with, and then you're just making some small tweaks to it, making better ingredients, a little healthier, more sustainable, then that's a great opportunity. So I think if you're heading in that direction, you're probably safe. The more innovative, like crazy stuff might have a harder time jumping into mainstream, but but healthier, yeah, and it, it actually, more sustainable. Because we're potato chips, people, you know, overtly understand what a potato chip is inside of a bag, right? So we, when you layer on our sustainable packaging on top of it, like people get the product and then they're like, oh, this is an interesting packaging. If you're trying to do this type of packaging in something that's, you know, niche or very out there, you know, it might be lost on consumers. So we're lucky to be in a very highly consumable category and product type in order to share the message of compostable or plastic-free packaging too. That's cool. And then all of a sudden I just got a uh, thought of like how cool it would be for Humble and Nooch Pop to do a Nooch chip together or something like that. Right, Because I feel like brand collaborations have been becoming more and more popular, especially with these kind of up-and-coming brands, but even sometimes with established brands and -and up-and-coming brands. But I think that's one thing I like and I'm interested to see more of in the future is how brands work together to do something more interesting together than they would have separately. Separately. Yeah, totally. totally. Awesome. Well, we'll kind of wrap up there. So I appreciate you taking some time out of your busy schedule with, you know, kids running a company with spouses, getting compostable packaging out into the world and organic ingredients and all the other things you've got writing on your back. (laughs) Appreciate you taking a little time out to chat with us and share your story with the community. So thank you. Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Alicia or Humble Snacks, go to humblechips.ca. Subscribe to our podcast and YouTube channel for more innovator interviews, expert advice, and leadership discussions. If you like this episode, leave a heart, thumbs up, or review, and share it with your colleagues. As an ever-evolving show, we also love feedback, so send us your thoughts or ideas for who we should talk to next to evolve at modernspecies.com. <laughs>